You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. What's up, guys? Uh, welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And we've got a special guest uh, on the line with us here today. Really excited about this. We got Mike Wall. You can find him on Twitter at Mike WH. W-A-H-L-E-68, and I'm sure you Packer fans hear that name, and it brings back great memories. But uh, we're going to get into kind of some of the things that he accomplished throughout his career and also talk a little ball here today, man. I'm really excited about keeping my mouth shut for the most part. (laughs) Mike, how are you doing today, pal? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, like I was telling you offline, we were kind of chatting there a little bit um, uh, through message, and – you know, I became a Packer fan back in 03, and, and that was a, a very unique year. You know, it's funny because I never really kept up with pro ball. I'm 40 years old, Mike. I believe you're 45, if I remember correctly. Yes. So uh, right around 2003, you guys uh, took off, and that was the year you just ran wild on the league there with the running game in Green Bay. And uh, obviously you played, you know, 11 seasons in the NFL. You were uh, voted pro bowl there in 2005, I believe, with the Panthers. Is that correct? That is correct. Awesome. Awesome. And then, of course, there in 2003, you guys rushed uh, with the Green Bay Packers. Y'all rushed for 2,558 yards. And and everybody listening there on, on Twitter and YouTube and obviously on the pod here on Thursday afternoon, um, I say you guys did that because we all know how important the offensive line is for that. It's funny, you know, Amon got a lot of credit for everything, and rightfully so. The guy's as shifty as they come, hard runner. But uh, just want to ask you, because I, I know you've stepped now into what we call a what, skill development specialist at pro, uh, process2perform.com. Um, we'll give you a chance to kind of plug that on the way out. But um, what kind of sticks out to you, Mike, about that 2003 season uh, when you guys rushed for that that 2,500 yard mark? You know, it's funny. I don't even I didn't know what the, the yard total was. Um, <laughs> so it's that. Thanks for thanks for uh, reminding me. It was it was a great year. Certainly, it was one of the better teams I was on. <clears throat> I think what stands out to me, just being part of the Packers during that time in general, uh, we had a very, very special offense. Listen, most, I think 10 out of our 11 starters were like Pro Bowl, all pro players at one point in their career or another. And um, when you just have that much talent on the board and that high of expectations, it's really, it's nice to go into every year just kind of expecting to be in a top three offense. What was really unique about that season is I think everybody stayed healthy for the most part, um, particularly in the backfield with Amon, Najee, and Tony Fisher. And I think if you go back and look at the yards per carry on each one of those guys, you got to remember it was a different time back then. You know, Amon and I joke about this all the time. I can turn on the tape. You turn on the tape of the Detroit Lions versus the Carolina Panthers that when they gave up 320 yards, you know, because we're coming up and playing them and start watching that tape. And it's like, man, they got five in the box. They got six in the box. They got three to a side on the defensive line. They're just giving up yards everywhere. And we just, we didn't have that luxury. You know, it used to be, you're going to see seven in the box, eight in the box. You're going to see every man up the line of scrimmage, especially when we were doing well. We had KB, we had the, the U71 package with Kevin Barry and, you know, Bubba Franks and, and Will and Will Henderson in the backfield, Amon in the backfield. 
guys were just trying to up there to stop the run. We'd go into a lot of games thinking like we're going to run, you know, 16 power load, 96 power load, 16, 17 times in the game. We'll put Javon Walker out by himself, the only wide receiver in the game. We're happy to do it because we don't think you can stop us. And so the yards, were, you know, for me watching the game today, the yards were a lot harder to come by in, in some respects back then. And so for have three guys that average five yards a carry is pretty phenomenal. And so I think when I think when as an offensive lineman, when we look at that stat, that stat means more to me than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember specifically Kevin Barry coming in and reporting eligible at t- from time to time and uh, and playing that extra tight end position. And it was just a lot of fun to watch. I Man, there was so much so much beef on that offensive line. I'm trying to remember. All of the offensive. I'm sure I'll get some incorrect, but I definitely remember Marco being with you. He was still there that year. Am I am I thinking right, Marco Rivera? So left to right, it was Chad Clifton, myself, Mike Flanagan, Marco, Mark Tauscher, KB, uh, and and we Bubba, Bubba yeah, Franks, who was a phenomenal. I mean, there's just you want to talk about a guy who um, was a five tool player. I mean, Bubba Franks could literally do it all, and I, and he had. I think he started out with in, in this in the NFL with like three Pro Bowl seasons, tight end in, in the red zone, just an absolute weapon, could block, could pass. The guy could do it all. There's just there's just not guys like him around anymore. I mean, you see a guy like Rob Gronkowski, um, you see a guy like Greg Kittle, like those are the same kind of player that Bubba Franks was. If he was if he was doing what he did then, and he was in the NFL now doing with his capabilities as a blocker, man, he's a he's like a Mark Andrews. He's a game changer. He'd be a household name. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like Mercedes Lewis with the Packers right now. Excellent blocker. He can do it in the passing game occasionally when asked. You know, you've seen that the other day in Miami. But Bubba, he did. He had that. He had the whole package. And the way he could body defensive backs was just unbelievable, too, even catching the ball off the play action. But, um, yeah, really enjoyed watching you guys play that year for sure. Um, let me ask you this. You know, being a former 11-year, uh, you know, Pro Bowl lineman, what's the one thing do you think us fans and, – and that's exactly what I'm a, I am here – um, Mike, I, you know, I'm a fan with a podcast. I don't, I'm not interested in busting into the media. I just love breaking down X's and O's, learning about the game. And, and one of the things that's really, really grabbed my attention is how many former players are putting out content now. And I, I am absolutely eating it up because, you know, when you, when you watch ESPN, NFL Network, and you hear professional media members, to me, that's entertainment. But when a former player talks or a former coach talks, it's like, okay, it's time to learn. It's time to dig in. What What is the one thing you think us fans don't realize or understand that's maybe a difference maker on the field? Some of us look at it as X's and O's are most important. Others look at, you know, uh, think player, not play. What kind of, if you could say one thing that, hey, this is the one thing that fans really don't realize or don't think about goes into winning on the football field. Oh, man, that's that's I could spend 45 minutes on that answer because um, I just think there's a lot. Uh, it's interesting now. There's so much material media content. There's you you know you, you as a as a fan who has a podcast and likes to break down films to the the playback reels on. You can watch the end zone copy. You can watch the you can watch the sideline copy. You can go to like PFF and and get stats that have that are meaningless and have no context, but they're out there. We say that they're good. Um, you can do the same with Amazon. You can go and watch, you know, ex general managers on ESPN talk about things they have no, they really have no intimate knowledge about. And we can say that that's concrete. So I think that on the one hand, it's awesome. And the way that we ingest content now, I think is maybe maximizes the fans appreciation of the sport and maximizes the amount of fun you're having. Right. Um, but the way that an ex player, a guy played at a high level, 
that wants to, especially like I, I ingest film now still to help other athletes become their best. So when I ingest content, it is completely different than maybe how you're ingesting it. It's the way I see things because of the intimacy of the sport. And in particular, when you talk about offensive line play, I think what, what is, is hard now is you watch a film and everything that we do, and this is a society, the societal commentary, but also specifically with sports, we are so outcome-based, right? The play didn't work. This guy made the tackle. That guy must have made a mistake. And what you have to understand about a sport like football when there's 22 players on the field, if I'm playing left guard and I have my guy locked out, my quarterback runs into me for a sack, well, there's 21 other people that are that are having something to do with how I'm going to be judged by the rest of the world right now, right? <laughs> and so that that level of of pressure, that level of kind of I don't know, fairness, I don't know what the, the word is, but that's the scrutiny just isn't realistic, and, and we can't really operate in that in that medium. So I think that what fans don't maybe understand is players are really trying to good players like the top level guys are really trying to think about their process and just do things right over and over and over again and they really appreciate the intimacy of each confrontation and if i was going to name one thing actually clay now I'm, i've just gave this way too long an answer what i think most people don't understand because i see like not only fans but when you look at like um guys that are out there trying to teach like hey we're going to teach a tackling system or hey we got to you know we're the best blocking coaches out or whatever it is all of them are kind of – if you think of, like, tackling, you think of, like, pre-confrontation and post-confrontation. So how you get to confrontation determines the terms of confrontation. I don't think a lot of people understand how important that is, right? So we talk about, well, we got a shoulder tackle. we got we got to punch it. we got to do all this stuff. But how you get to your spot under control, how you get to confrontation under control, that determines everything. That's like right. I, did, I, did, I did a um, – when I was working for the Dolphins as a skill development specialist – I did a breakdown for two years worth of film on tackling and blocking. Like 85% of the outcome is determined by how you get to your spot. And nobody even talks about it. So that's probably the biggest thing. Is And that's really in all team sports, all competitional sports. That is huge. What an answer. And no, it wasn't too long. It wasn't long enough in my life. I could listen to this stuff all day. Um, so it really anticipation, if I'm understanding you correct, right? No one well, there's, there's cues, right? So the, so the, thing, the, the, super th the thing that's really interesting about sports is so if you want to be a really good you know, skill, so let's say you're a, you're a lineman, you're a quarterback, you're a wide receiver, you have skill. There's skill that you need to develop, right? So skill is you think about you, let's break it all the way down. So a technique is just a series of movement patterns, right? So there's so if you go to a strength conditioning coach, they're going to teach you kind of what we call best practice movement patterns. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah. And we build those movement patterns up, and we create a technique. That technique could be kicking a soccer ball, it could be catching and throwing a baseball, throwing a football, it could be blocking, could be tackling. So you get really good at your technique and you build up those movement patterns to the point where that, that technique becomes automatic. So I don't have to think about it, right? So it's just like a habit. A habit's just a physical response to, a, to an external stimulus, right? So I, it, it becomes automatic. And once you do that, now you have to start adding in decisions. You have to start adding decisions. Because I want to be read and read. You hear always here, I want to be a read and react athlete. So what you're doing is you're learning how to pull external cues, relevant external cues, from your from your vision, what you see, what you hear, what what you have in the Rolodex from the plays that you you've watched on film, and you put all that together, and you have to be able to react like that. Wow. And so all we're really trying to do is we're trying to automate our techniques so we can use more brain power on making on making all these split second decisions and and identifying oh this person has you know too much pressure on his foot his you know or his, or his foot's too far one way or another his weight shifted he's going to go this way I need to be able to do that like this. 
And the only way I can do it is that I can automate my technique. So it's about reading all these external cues and being able to process that in the fastest way possible. That's what the best athletes in the world do. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's, that's such good stuff. Awesome. Well, let me ask you this. Um, as we kind of move forward, we're talking about the Packers. I've been watching a lot of your uh, a lot of your tape uh, that you, you've kind of broken down on, on both YouTube and, and, of course, on Twitter. And, again, guys, he's also a co-host of the podcast On My Block with Amon Green. I'll never forget the day that I found that podcast. I'm like, how have I not heard about this podcast? So we got to do something better to get it out there because I'm telling you, there's a lot of Packer fans that's missing that content that need to get it because it is unbelievable. But what do you, how do you feel about the current state of the offensive line in Green Bay right now? I know you, you got kind of this, this mix, you know, with, with Bach and Elton battling injuries early in the season. You had some young players thrust into the role. Um, you've got a few people that kind of hung around on the practice squad like Yash and, you know, been elevated from time to time. What do you, How do you feel about the current state? You know, if you were to – I don't, I don't want to put the pressure on you to say put a grade on it, but do you, you feel like it's in pretty good shape, or how do you feel about the offensive line? Well, I think right now you got to feel as good about – as long as Bakhtiari is playing, you got to feel as good about them as you have all year. Um, last year they played really well. And they played really the spot on his injuries. Um, I think Adam Stenovich, you know, the reason he's offensive coordinator is that he was arguably the most valuable coach on the on the on the staff last year with what he did with that offensive line and, and how he improved those guys and his attention to detail. Um, they missed that. Certainly, it's. I think it's very obvious, and this isn't a knock on anybody who's in there now, but I think it's mm-hmm. very obvious early in the season that they missed his presence. Um, just just from the way, just from their even from a technical standpoint, they just weren't as technically sound as they as they were the year before. So. When I look at this team, I think Bakhtiari, he's just a clinic tape. He's just a walking clinic tape. As long as he's on the field, he's going to be the best player on the, on the, on the Packers. Um, Elton Jenkins, you know, trying to come back off the ACL and then moving to the other side of the ball was, a, was you know, I, this is easy in hindsight, but you can go back and check the tape. I said it was a terrible idea in the spring and the summer. You shouldn't. I did you just, yeah, you just don't do that to somebody. It doesn't make any sense, and he suffered for it, and they suffered for it, but he's back where he belongs now. He's got a long way to go as far as kind of being – the best version of himself technically and from a Ben standpoint, but he's a special player and, and he's he certainly deserving of that contract. Josh Myers has just been up and down this year. Um, he's, he, I think, feel like he took a step back generally during the season as, as opposed to year, the year prior. I don't know what the reason for that is. His footwork hasn't been as good. He's playing top heavy. He has played better in the last couple of games. So hopefully he's just kind of getting his momentum because he's going to be a, I think he's going to be a real special athlete. I, I, I compare him to Corey Lindsley because I think he has that kind of talent. John Runyon Jr. Um, John Runyon Jr. does a lot of stuff that people don't notice. He's he's kind of the unsung. Everybody thinks he's like average, below, whatever you know, whatever you think about him. If you really know, if you understand film, you know how to watch tape. Like the way that he can kind of turn like an A block with the center into a B block with the, with the tackle, and the way that he can kind of help when when other people aren't helping. He's not a powerful player, and he can grow into that. He become a more powerful athlete. He can kind of you know take that that second that next step in his in his evolution is becoming a more powerful athlete on a scrimmage but he's very very smart and he does kind of the little dirty work things and making sure that making sure that things work especially playing with a young center and then a rotating door at at the right tackle position yash has has played well he's not a great run blocker he does a good job in the pass game zach tom is going to be a long-term answer somewhere across the line he needs to get stronger he's got a lot of technique work to do but just from an athletic standpoint you have to be excited about what he brings to the table because it jumps off the screen. Um, I, th- I think they have, you know, they're a team that it, depending on what happens back to in the off season, they could have a really good line next year, or they could be looking for a left tackle. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. Good stuff. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned John Runyon because we were talking about him just the other day when we, uh, we got a segment we call Chalk Talk where we'll try to take five plays that were kind of controlled the flow of the game, if you will. You know, it's easy to look at the, the big flashy plays, but then when you go back to like, we've seen you break down one of the plays we did as well. The, the goal line stand there in the first quarter was absolutely huge, you know, where the Packers held, held the Vikings to a field goal. And then, of course, we broke down the uh, Aaron Rodgers touchdown pass to Rob Tunyon. And it was so cool watching John Runyon get off the ball, punch a D tackle, slide out, and and help Tom at right tackle with Zadarius, and then kick back in. It was just like, man, Runyon really gets it in the passing game. It's 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 pretty uh, oh, it's pretty uh, pretty unique to to see somebody move the way he does. It's really cool. Um, all right. So with with that being said, that might be a good segue here. Um, you know, I talked about you guys recently breaking down the tape. Um, you, I seen a, a clip where you were breaking down the Panthers lines uh, on Christmas Eve in which the uh, the Panthers, I believe they rushed, if I remember correctly, 320 yards in that game. And uh, yeah. how do you see the Packers matching up against the Lions Sunday night? Because I know you were talking on Twitter about, man, if, if they can come out and run quite a bit of 12 personnel, um, you know, I think that could you, you think that could kind of put the Packers in an advantage there and maybe be able to run the ball. Obviously, they got to stay with the run and we know they've gotten away from it so many times. And, you know, uh, I don't know. There was one play there, too, Mike, that really got me excited in the Vikings game where they came out in 13 personnel and ran a quick pitch play to Aaron Jones on the, on the, on the third and one. Yeah, it was. Oh, man, what a what a great play. And Aaron looked like he was coming out in the gun. DeGuara shifts over real quick right to the left you know, there in the uh, I guess in the A gap. And then just a quick mm -hmm. pitch. It was amazing because when Aaron went under center, quick snap, the Vikings didn't know what hit him. But again, with the Lions, Lions, how do you think the Packers can kind of take advantage of what the Panthers took advantage of if they do stick with the run, you think? Well, when you watch the Carolina Panthers play, first of all, their coach, their O line coach is James Campin, who's a you know Electric Green Bay Packers coach, mm -hmm. had a lot of good 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 guy, good uh, lines there, and developed a lot of talent. Um, they're doing a good job over there of using. They have two good running backs, um, and they're doing a good job of utilizing uh, their tight ends and putting them off hip, putting that that formation that I think I showed on Twitter. I showed it because that's a formation that's very familiar to Packers fans. It's something that they do often here with twelve personnel, and they run two guys off the hip of the tackles and. You can kind of go cross action either way. You can lead block. There's just a lot of stuff you can do out of that formation, right? Um, but the Detroit Lions, the Detroit Lions make a lot of errors in the run game. One, because they're not that talented up front in the defensive line. Uh, Malcolm Rodriguez, that rookie, is a thumper, but he over he'll he has a tendency to overrun plays. Uh, Alex Anzalone is a is kind of a middle of the pack linebacker, um, and they've got some guys on the edge, especially. Um, uh, Akuda, not the most willing tackler in the world. So I, I think, you know, you have Aiden Hutchinson, you have the new guy, James Houston, who's really played well. And you kind of want to get out of passing situations with those guys, because I think, you know, especially if Bakhtiari is not playing, both those guys can give our tackles, our young tackles trouble. But if, you know, assuming Bakhtiari can play, assuming that you can use, you know, the, the Gridley Packers have done such a good job recently. You know, one thing I, I'll just mention this because Robert Tunyon, I try to, I try to, give him as much credit as I possibly can. Cause he's, he was a guy that when I started watching him, he's an ex wide receiver and he just really wasn't about, he looked like he was like the next Jimmy Graham to me. He just wasn't about yeah. the, the run game. And now like, he's just, he, he hasn't had a great year. I think from a receiving standpoint, as far as, you know, his, his personal goals. Um, I don't, I think a lot of that's out of his control, but what is in his control is how he attacks, you know, being a professional and, and improving his game. And he's done a really good job of just becoming a more physical player and trying to do things the right way. 
And so uh, really happy to see that he shines now, both in the run game and the pass game. Um, DeGuar has done a much better job as the year has gone on, certainly an improvement from last year and in, in, in trying to be physical. They can use him in a bunch of different ways. And then Mercedes Lewis is probably, you know, he's probably the GOAT as far as blocking tight ends in the National Football League over the last two decades. So those guys give us an advantage um, now where I don't know that they always did. And when you have that, you know, we talked about it earlier with Bubba Franks and, and even with KB. Um, and, and I think we had we had Martin back then, 87. When you have that advantage of the tight end position that, you know, guys can single block or they can they can run those cross action plays and they can lead up, they can they can play fullback. I just think it gives you just a, a plethora of options to attack a team that let's face it, that you're going to see a lot of six and seven man boxes, even with 12 personnel, because they're worried about what Kristen Watson and Dobbs and all those guys can do in the passing game with Aaron Rodgers. So I've, I, I think this could be a this could be one of those games that if they decide to stick with a run, which they, they haven't, but if they decide to stick with a run, you could see a 130, 150-yard game, certainly from the Green Bay Packers. And I think you need to do that because the the Detroit Lions, I know they haven't scored as many points on the road as they have at home, but they could score a lot of points, man. And, and I know that we did a good job against Justin Jefferson. I think that there was a confluence of events there with the Vikings game and not only the coverages we came out with with Barry, and he did a really good job of, of bracket coverage and double coverage in Jefferson. But let's face it, man, they were on ice skates for half the game. They were missing the, the middle of their offensive line. The Detroit Lions have the best offensive line in, in the NFC North by far. Like, it's not even close. They have a great – they have two great running backs. Jandre Swift's now their second running back. He's, he's you know, top top three in the, in, in the division, and he's the second running back on the team. They have weapons at, at the wide receiver position. So, and Jared Goff's throwing the ball really well. Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator, has done a great job putting positions to be successful. So I, I don't think it benefits us to, uh, to, to try to play a shootout game with the Detroit Lions. I just think they're, they're very, very powerful. But I do think we can, we can run the clock and put them in bad situations on defense. Absolutely. Very well said. Good stuff. Um, you know, that first matchup against the Lions, it was, it was, all, it was turnover central, right? That was probably Aaron's worst game of the year. And and even then, it was like never really out of reach. So um, I'm with you. I think if, if they could stick with the run, establish a run early, they should be able to win this ball game. Now, you you made a, a comment there. And after this question, I promise, Mike, I'm going to let you go. I want to respect your time. I know you got family and all that. Um, but you mentioned with the interior of that Vikings offensive line, you know, kind of being in shambles with the injury. And the, I think it was the backup center started and then he left the game. Is, am I understanding mm-hmm. correctly? So, yeah, you know, with your experience playing guard, and I, I believe you even played a little left, a little tackle there at some point in your career, too. Mm-hmm. When a center, when a starting center goes out of the game, what does it do to that offensive line? Uh well, it's it's not that this. I don't think that for this in this instance, I don't think it was that the starting center was out. I think it's that the top two centers out. And when you're on your right. like when you're on your third guy with any position, it's here's what's crazy, right? Nobody talks about this. So you think about the you think about the transfer portal in college, and you think about the tra- the trade uh, deadline in the NFL. There are no offensive linemen going through either one of those. None. Good wow. ones. Wow. Because there are no good offensive linemen left. There, there's just – you can count on, uh, you know, probably four hands how many good offensive linemen there are in the National Football League. In college, just, there's, they're just not building them the, the way they used to. They're not developing them in college the way they used to. And I, when I say good, I'm, I'm talking about guys that you want to give up the farm for, right? right. I'm talking about guys that you're like, I'm going to pay this guy top dollar. There's just – and if you have them, if you've developed them, and Packers as well as any team in the National Football League over the past 30 years – they have done a great job of drafting and developing offensive linemen. 
whether it was our guy, whether it was where it was Campy and then Stenovich, like they've done a very, very good job. So you just don't see guys switching hands because there's there's just a lack of talent at the position. Um, so when you start talking about not only do I maybe not have a good first guy, but now I'm on my second guy, second guy gets hurt. I'm on my third guy. You're I'm not making this up when it, you're lucky if the guy gets the snap count right during the game because he's not used to that environment. And that's what you saw. I think we saw five offs. I think they had six penalties. The Vikings win on penalties and turnovers, right? They had yeah. four turnovers and they had six penalties. And five, I think five of them were offsides or false start. So you just start thinking about, like, what what's going to go wrong in a game? Like, if anything's going to go wrong, you, you point back to your third-string centers, and that's that's a very, very difficult task. You you couple that with, I think, their captain. I think it's O'Neal or McNeil, uh, the, uh, the right tackle. He got out in the first quarter, and all the – like – if you're Kirk Cousins and you're a statue, like you don't sit back, you don't. Even, the good thing about Kirk Cousins is he doesn't see the rush, so like he doesn't feel pressure, so he'll just fire a ball, right? So he can hang in there longer. Sometimes he makes some good throws. The good, the good thing for us about Kirk Cousins is he doesn't see the rush, so he'll just stand there and it's just like he won't even try to get out of the way. He'll just get hit. He like he, he literally doesn't even know it's coming. Um, you saw when Holland's got a sack on Darisau. Darisau's given up three sacks in the last three games, and you could say with two of them. There's no way he should have like given up a sack just because like the quarterback should step up, but the guy has no idea what's going on. Um, but so now you you look at that and you go, okay, now you're on your third string center and you got this right to, dude. There's it's just like if if you lose a game, if you have if you if if you're a competent NFL defense and you they're playing your third string center in that situation, you know, and they got their backup right tackle and your best player is Preston Smith, you just start going, dude. There's no way we're losing this football game. Like we're gonna dominate them. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, that's with Elton Jenkins getting the contract extension. That's one thing, you know, from a fan's perspective, it's like, man, you've got a guy that can play all five positions on the offensive line and he could mm -hmm. fill in in a pinch at center. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, he was drafted as a center and um, coming into the league, he's played center a little bit. I don't think you could put a price tag on, but again, the equivalent would be, let's say Myers went down and they had to slide Elton Jenkins into center if they didn't go with a backup at center and then Elton Jenkins goes down. Oh my gosh. You think, yeah. you think there'd be frustration on Aaron's face? <laughs> I mean, well, I, I think what, what a smart team does, right. Is, is they'll say, okay, we have our starting five and we have to groom a backup swing tackle or a swing tackle on the swing guard. And then we have to have a guy that is not playing right now that can play center. And yeah. then you have to, because one of your guards is going to be able to play. Marco could, if, if, Everything went to hell in a handbasket. Mark, I was left-handed. Marco was right-handed. Marco could play center. I mean, it wouldn't have been pretty. He would have done it. He wouldn't have liked to do it. But if everything went to hell in a handbasket and we had four guys go down, everything like he could snap the ball, right? Yeah. And you have, and now all of a sudden you have a starter who's competent that can that can get that done. But if that guy's in the game, what what you never want to do, and what a lot of teams make a mistake of doing, in my opinion, is you start moving players from like you shift let's you shift your right guard to center you bring in a new right guard you just got worse at two positions right. for what you might as well just be you, you might as well just get worse at center just put yeah. the guy at center and deal with it don't bring the guy over because now you're worse at two positions even if like the increment of worse is different at center now it doesn't really matter does it because you know you, you know just net net you're going to be a worse off team i never understood that a lot of teams still do that it doesn't make sense to me yeah, they really do. I mean, the less moving parts you have, the better off you're going to be, obviously. Um, that's good stuff, man. Great insight. And uh, I can't thank you enough, Mike. Like I said, I want to respect your time. I'm going to let you get off here. Um, again, everybody, you can find him on Twitter, at MikeWall68. That last name is spelled W-A-H-L. 
L-E. Um, I don't know how you don't have more followers, man. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> we, we're, we're going to fix that. And I'm going to I'm gonna put a, a call to arms out there for Packers Twitter because there's a lot of Packer fans missing out on great content. And again, uh, your uh, your website is process2perform.com. That's uh, process, the number two, perform.com. A skill de- development specialist here. Mike Wall, former Packer offensive line. Is there anything you want to plug before you get off here, man? Anything else we can do? No, listen, process to perform. I just try to help athletes, right? I still work with some pro guys. I work with aspiring athletes of all different sports. We just break down. We break down all the stuff like we talked about on this today, movement patterns. We work on mindset development, technical mastery, and ownership decisions, man. So if you're an athlete out there or a coach who wants to work on, on, on their development process, this is kind of this is what we do. And this is what I do now, and it's uh, it's it's a good life. I love it, man. So 11 years in the league. Now you're helping future athletes, uh, athletes coming up through the ranks. And on top of that, you've got to kind of look at this uh, this film study and the content you're creating. You almost feel like a player again, right? You're breaking down tape and and looking at stuff. It's just awesome. Uh, listen, I, 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 don't, I, wish I, I wish I felt like a player nowadays, but I, I don't sweat as much when I walk up the stairs now, so I just take it as a deal. <laughs> I was going to say, too, my wife's seen a, a picture of you here recently. She said, man, he slimmed down. I'm like, they have to to save their life. The, the stuff that you guys have to put your bodies through when you're playing the game is – is absolutely amazing. Like, I mean, you see uh, Joe Thomas, you know, slim, slim way down. Everybody was all shocked. It's like, I can only imagine what you have to put your body through to, to maintain that weight and play the offensive line position. And I know as a Packer family, we appreciate everything you sacrificed. Um, we're going to let you get back to your family. And uh, thank you so much for your time, Mike. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Have a great day. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right. So, again, that was Mike Wall, former Green Bay Packer. Um, awesome guy, man. I'm telling you, if you guys aren't following him on Twitter, make sure you go give him a follow at Mike Wall, uh, W-A-H-L-E 68. Um, great content he's putting out. You know, there's a lot of people that do a lot of quarterback breakdowns and things like that. Uh, he he pretty much breaks down every aspect of uh, – of football, different games, really keys in on the Packers from the content I've seen. But when he talks offensive line, man, you really lean up in your chair because the guy is just – he knows everything about playing the position. 
everything about playing the position of guard. He played tackle. Um, obviously, he was drafted by the Packers in the second round of the supplemental draft. Um, I remember, uh, like you guys have heard me tell the story so many times when I became a Packer fan, that 2003 season, I'm like, man, let's see what these Green Bay Packers are about. Everybody's talking about the historical Lambeau field and all this. And uh, and I bought a DVD box set, fell in love with the history of, of the Packers. And then lo and behold, 2003 was the year they just ran all over the league. You guys hear me? I'm a boring football fan. I like low-scoring games, and I love it when we run the rock. And that's why, because my first experience uh, with being a, a Packer fan was uh, that year that, like he said, uh, you know, Amon Green rushed. I think Amon Green rushed for 1,800 yards that year. I mean, averaging over 100 yards a game. Um, and you had, like you said, Clifton at left tackle, uh, Mock at left guard, Flanagan at center, Marco Rivera at right guard, and then uh, a young Mark Tauscher there at right tackle. Um, they were just maulers. And uh, really like Mike Sherman, too, as a head coach. But, uh, man, it was so it was so long ago. But it's amazing how having that conversation with him can take you back in a blink. It's really, really cool. So what I'm going to do, guys, I'm going to go ahead and kill my camera here so you don't have to stare at my ugly mug any longer. Uh, for those of you that tune in on Twitter and YouTube, we really appreciate it. But we're going to uh, go a few more minutes here with the pod. Um, what I'm going to do is uh, share a couple of things here that I've got keyed up. Um, first of all, I wanted to share uh, – let's, let's do this. Let's go to the Keyshawn Nixon um, kickoff return. And, and I know we kind of hit on this uh, on the postgame show, but I definitely want you guys to uh, hear Larry McCarron's call of this play because it was phenomenal. Let's see if we can pull it up here real quick. This is uh, courtesy of the Green Bay Packers YouTube page, and obviously on Packers.com you can find this. But, again, let's relive that moment of Keyshawn Nixon with that kick return here uh, against the Minnesota Vikings. Keyshawn Nixon back deep. Here's the run-up of the kick from right to left to restart the game. And this one carrying into the end zone about four yards deep. Here comes Dixon to the five. Left hash marks 10, 15. Hits a hole hard. He's to the 25, 30. Breaks into the clear. Keyshawn Nixon is off to the races. It's Secretariat of the Belmont. Down the splits they come. No one will catch him. It is a touchdown. My goodness. Came into the game, Wayne, questionable with a groin injury. Didn't practice all week. And he just took it right up the gut through the heart of the Minnesota Viking coverage unit. Love it. You got to love that Lambo leap at the end too, man. Absolutely awesome. Awesome stuff. Uh, Keyshawn Nixon, man. Oh, I was hearing, you know, I was listening to a couple of podcasts uh, yesterday and, and, you know, uh, just checking some, some uh, content out on YouTube and, and one of the things that caught my attention was somebody compared Keyshawn Nixon to Desmond Howard. And, and there's some people going, oh, he's not on that level yet. And, and I understand that. You know, I, I get it. You know, Desmond Howard came in and, and he was the difference maker, right, in that Super Bowl run in 96. He really was. He was that X factor, that guy that could, could just, you know, put a team on their heels, much like Keyshawn did uh, the other night there against Minnesota, just, just in the blink of an eye. Um, but I can see the comparison because – you know, I think it was Aaron Nagler that said it on his podcast. Uh, he said, you know, let's hope they don't make the same mistake that they did with Desmond when they let Desmond walk in free agency. And I don't know the details, and, and maybe I misunderstood him. It could have been free agency. It could have been, you know, through other means. I'm not sure if they if they cut him or what. But, um, man, to be able to have a player that can hit a home run like that for you. And not only that, you know, the punter, from the punting position, 
you talking about, you know, put yourself in into the opposing punter's shoes. They're already having to focus on the snap, make sure they get their drop right, make good connection with the ball, understand where they're trying to put the ball. Are they trying to do a drop kick? Are they try, are you trying to put backspin on the ball? Are they trying to, you know, cough and corner it? What are they, you know, everything, every aspect of it. You've got to focus on the protection. But then also in the back of your mind, it's that boy is back there. That guy's back there ready to take it to the house. So I've really got to be precise here. It just puts a, another level of, of pressure. I mean, we we witnessed and experienced it as Packer fans so many times with Devin Hester back there for the Bears. You know, one of the one of, if not the greatest, uh, you know, punt and kick returners in the history of the game. And the fact that the Packers have that now as a weapon, we've we've got to sign him. We've got to protect that. You know, <clears throat> and I and I understand you don't want to overpay for anything, but he is, I mean, right now you can make a case that he is the best kick returner in the entire league. And with him being the best kick returner in the entire league, how do you let that aspect of your game walk? I mean, Goody, he's got to open up the checkbook and re-sign him. Um, and, you know, we're not going to get into contract talks and, and roster building and all that right now, but I just wanted to play that soundbite of Larry McCarron and uh, – and um, Wayne Larravee, you know, calling that play. It was really, really cool, really exciting. Um, yeah, just uh, it was it was really cool. Like we talked about in the postgame show, hearing Jim Nance and Tony Romo react to it. You know, oh, here he goes. I, I could listen to that all day long. So absolutely awesome. All right, we're going to get to the next thing I wanted to play here. And um, I thought this was cool. You know, I shared it on Twitter, and it got quite a bit of uh, of play here. I mean, it's up to – my goodness, the original video is up to almost a half a million views on Twitter. And I think it's uh, definitely worth listening to. Um, this is Aaron Rodgers, right? Number 12, um, post game after the uh, the Packers beat the Vikings 41 to 17. And I just wanted you guys to kind of hear what he had to say here. Um, it, it got emotional. He had to stop for a minute. He teared up. And uh, just want, want you to kind of Kind of listen to this a second, and and let's hear from twelve immediately following that game. We didn't get to play it on the post game show, but again, I seen this come across the the Twitter wire from Jason Wildy, and I was like, man, I've got to I've got to share this with the gang. It's it's really cool. But here, let's go ahead and give it a play. Aaron, how's it just feel for you personally when there were questions about, hey, if this goes the other way, how would you feel about Jordan playing? I mean, just especially considering the uncertainty of what comes next whenever this run ends. How does this just feel for you personally? It feels really special. It does. It's uh, been an interesting year. It hasn't been my best football at times, but uh, I've been asked to step up my leadership, I think, and be someone the guys can count on to keep it together. You know, even when it doesn't seem like there's anything to play for, we we don't have a chance to make a run. Um, there's been a lot of special moments throughout the year. And it didn't look great for a while. And I was resigned to some of those realities being possible. And when I took my mind there, uh, I had a piece about it. I had a piece about all of it. Whatever was supposed to happen, I was surrendered to that reality with also the resolute mindset that we could still get back in this thing. 
And I think that's what I'm most proud of uh, for myself and our team is that there were a lot of different things that could happen. And we stuck together and we put ourselves in position to do something special. Thanks. Mic drop. He walked out, right? That was the end of the presser. I want to say this, man. Um, first of all, once again, for about the hundredth time this year, although some people will say he hasn't, he took responsibility for his play. You know, my play hasn't been the best. My, you know, when my play hasn't been good. He said that over and over and over. But to see him lower the walls there just a second, and and he just said, you know, we're, we're not done yet. We got the opportunity to do something special. You know, the goal is the playoffs. The goal isn't, okay, well, we made it, we made it a, you know, gave it the old college try, right? Um, it's, it's something that, I don't know, man. I just really, really appreciate the fact that he lowered the walls and showed that he doubted, right? Now, at the time, you didn't hear it, right? And when he said, you know, we're still alive, there were Packer fans, a very minute amount, but it's we got to mention it. There were Packer fans that was <laughs> whatever, whatever. We need to focus on playing young people. We need to focus on a better draft pick. And, you know, everybody, not everybody, some on Twitter, you know, Aaron's washed up. He's done. He's just, you know, missing open receivers. He's not even looking this receiver's way. It's because he doesn't trust them and blah, 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 blah. And he's a bad teammate. And they can't look at him yelling at the sidelines again. Guys, <laughs> it's amazing how some people in the national media point out that he didn't come to a, and I'm going to say it here, voluntary workout. Okay. He, he, he made every single, every single um, involuntary workout, right? He didn't miss any of camp. He was there for everything he was responsible for being there for. But because he chose to not show up to an involuntary work or a voluntary workout, it's Aaron doesn't care. See, they could have got this fixed. They could have got this fixed. If he'd be throwing with his receivers in the offseason, they could have got this fixed. But then the second that he steps into camp and he's the hard AWS that's on everybody's back saying we're making too many mental mistakes. We need to simplify stuff that, you know, people need to have reps cut. Oh, he's the bad guy. He's a bad teammate. Right. You had all of these emotions going through the first half of this season. Right. Really the, the second quarter of the season, I guess. And when things look bad, he was asked by the coaching staff to up his leadership and be somebody that the team can lean on and young players could lean on and say, hey, look, we can do this. By his words, even when you don't necessarily believe it's possible. Like, he looks emotionally drained. And you lose your number one target. You've got your top two offensive linemen missing uh, snaps early in the year. Right. You're trying to bring these young receivers on. OK, you've worked out all of the the behind the scenes stuff with the front office where there have been disagreements in the past. And again, guys, I was an Aaron Rodgers hater three years ago, four years ago. At the end of the McCarthy era, if you had talked to Clayton, then Clayton would have been like, man, screw Aaron Rodgers. 
screw him, because all these reports were coming out that Aaron was running Mike McCarthy out of town. But lo and behold, they spoke every week after he was fired. He went to the media at a press conference, Aaron did, and or it may, might have been on McAfee's show, and said, listen, he still lives here in town. Show him respect. That guy has done so much for this team. He's done so much for me. But the media, just like this interview right here that I just played you, the media won't cover that, right? And I'm so glad Jason Wildey shared it because it's uh, it's huge. It's huge for the fans to hear that raw emotion and to hear Aaron Rodgers acknowledge that, man, look, this has been a rough year. I, like, I, I even doubt it, right? But I couldn't say that, you know? And all you can do is keep grinding and keep getting better and keep working at it and trying to build rapport and adjusting the game plan and trying to, to get, you know, certain pieces – in place to where it would click enough to get a win and then string together a second win and a third win and on and on and on. Right. Um, that's the stuff that, that matters, man. And that's why you're not going to catch me watching tape going, Oh, look, there's an open receiver. You could find an open receiver on every single passing play that you watch in the NFL, pick a team, and go watch the pass cut up of all their passes. And I guarantee you three quarters of the snaps, you'll go, that receiver was open. That receiver is open. Because kind of like what Mike just talked about, what what most fans don't understand, and myself included, that's guys, this was a selfish interview of Mike Wall. This was me being selfish, wanting to interview him and go, man, let me see if I can learn something here that I didn't know before. You know, I had a, a 20 or 30 minute chat with a, a former offensive lineman in the NFL. And he was talking about anticipation and, and kind of that muscle memory of you've got to you've got to do it so many times and know that you you've got to be able to react in a split second and your body is trained to just do the right thing and you're in peak uh you know peak shape physically to be able to handle the beating, to be able to handle the adjustment on the fly and, and all that. Um just everything that goes into it, man. And then for fans to, to just pick apart, absolutely pick apart someone when they're at their lowest point. You know, Matt LaFleur said something earlier in the year, and it stuck with me. And I, I wish I knew the exact date he said it, the exact presser, so I could timestamp it and go back and play it because we're going to find out later what he meant. But he talked about it, you know, the stuff that Aaron's dealt with. And he mentioned specifically, he said something along the lines of, um, and other things that nobody knows about that Aaron is dealing with, that has dealt with. I wonder what that is. But whatever it is, it doesn't even matter. It's just a simple fact that this is a human being, right? And, and you know, that's what I love about the McAfee show. And it's what I want this podcast to be is very player friendly. Because the sports media, as we've seen with, uh, obviously, the uh, – Buffalo Bill player, you know, God, it was horrible to watch that. Absolutely horrible to watch that. And I don't like to talk about stuff like this because I don't want to grandstand. I don't want to be insensitive, first first and foremost. I don't want to be insensitive when someone's life is on – when they're laying on the field technically dead because their heart stopped beating. I don't want to be the guy to rush to, you know, talking football because the only thing that matters is that human being's life laying on the field. It doesn't matter if it's a male, a female, uh, black, white, green, yellow. I don't care anything about, uh, you know, race or creed or religion or anything. That's a human being. That's somebody's child laying on the field, not moving. Their heart has stopped beating. Anybody who immediately thinks 
uh, football wise, what's going on here? Once you, it's it's one thing if you don't know what's happening, right, and you don't understand what's happening in the moment. Here, I, I didn't want to talk about this, and somehow here I am. <laughs> it's one thing to, I don't even know how to word it. People matter. You can say, oh, but they make enough money to BS. That's a human life, right? And to see the players react the way that they reacted, uh, to see, I mean, it was, it wasn't even, some people say, oh, the players were emotional. They weren't emotional. They were terrified. They were sitting there watching a friend die on the field. Thank God he did not die. But that's what they thought they were seeing. And and we're hoping for hoping and praying for a, a full recovery. You know, I don't know all the details. I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be a doctor. I'm just saying that when 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 sports media gets to the point where the initial reaction is, well, how are they going to make this game up, dude? I'm sorry, you're you're a low life. You, uh, yeah, I don't know how I don't know what else to say about it. But I know how we got here, and it's just a, I want to point out. That video, because I know the major sports media won't point out that video of Aaron Rodgers showing that raw emotion and showing the exhaustion and showing that, man, look, I have played crappy this year. It's funny, is he's still a top 10 quarterback, but it, that's a crappy year. Of course, that's been said in the past, right? Uh, down years for him or career years for other quarterbacks. But um, he's wore out, man. Like, cut the, cut the dude a break. Give him a little bit of slack. You know, he said the same thing when he was when they were negotiating Devontae Adams and trying to keep him there and everything. And they asked Aaron a question about his, you know, uh, disagreement with the front office and how they this and that. And do you think there's a chance that that you'll you'll finish your career here? He said something along the lines, and I, I wish I had that timestamp too, just to play it for you. But he said something along the lines of, uh, I, "I'm not going to give up on anybody because I, I wouldn't want anyone to give up on me." Like. You know, and if you're listening to this and going, oh, this is heavy, this is dramatic, I just want to hear about somebody's PFF grade, then, then hey, find another pod, man, because I'm always going to lean towards the coaches and the players and, and everybody that's involved with this great sport that we've all grown up loving. Um, their health and, and their opinion matters way more than these major networks who are literally getting paid millions and millions of dollars, way more than millions of dollars, to literally write a script in which they can strategically disagree to create an argument because that's going to get clicks. Yeah, I'm going to lean towards the players, their families, the coaches, their families, and uh, and try to be sensitive to that stuff because, man, without them, there is no game. There is no game. So, um, yeah, with that being said, let's move on to the next thing. So the Packers, we're going to get ready to wrap this up, but the Packers obviously making a little playoff push. I found a cool little video here. I don't know if I'll play the whole thing. I'll probably pause it and interject a little bit here. We're already at the 49-minute mark, but um, <clears throat> I wanted to try to keep this under an hour. If we go a little over, that's okay. But this is from the Rich Eisen Show, and uh, I'm not a huge Rich Eisen fan uh, just because he's, you know, some of the things he's been vocal about and and just uh, um, – I. If you're going to be vocal, be vocal. But if you're going to be, uh, you know, vocally biased, right, or biasly vocal, I guess you could say. I don't even know if that's a word. Probably isn't. I'm from Kentucky. Give me a break. All right. Um, <laughs> I speak and read at about a third grade level. But um, 
you know, when you pick and choose the things that you want to make important to fit your narrative or fit your personal opinion, that stuff bothers me on both, both sides politically, um, just all the way around, you know, the truth is the truth. Don't bend the truth to fit, you know, however you feel about certain situations. It's just silly. Um, but, um, I do have a lot of respect for Rich Eisen being around the game for as long as he has. He's been the face of NFL Network for a long time. Um, love him on a uh, game day morning, all that stuff. But he's kind of talking about the Packers are feeling it right now. So let's play this. And I, like I said, I'm going to interject from time to time. It's a 10 minute video, but let's hear what the national media is saying about the Packers now. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers were left for dead. And I am fully fully confident I don't have to check the tapes I don't have to look back to know I was one of them we we were part of that conversation nationally after they dropped to four and eight hey if his thumb's broken got to see what you have in Jordan love right yeah no for real no that for real was the conversation on the last weekend in November, going into the game. Something else, just want to pause, that I didn't even mention about Aaron, like just then in this little <laughs> unplanned event where I, you know, talking about him, him showing that emotion. He didn't mention one time. Do you notice he didn't mention one time, you know, having to play with a broken thumb on my throwing hand and, you know, bruised ribs or whatever the injury was. Didn't mention it one time, not once. Didn't make that excuse. But anyway. When they were 4 and 8, no question about it. Dead. Finished. Devontae Adams was in much better position at that point in time in Vegas as they were starting to win games and not blow leads. And we were all wondering how this team would look with Devontae Adams still because these young kids were not doing very much. They weren't healthy enough. They weren't doing enough. And the running game wasn't significant enough. And Rodgers wasn't accurate enough. And Rodgers wasn't winning enough. The defense wasn't healthy enough. There was not enough of enough for us to think that there was a way out. And here we are on the first Monday of 2023. Here we are on the first business day of this calendar year. And the Packers are in a winning in scenario. Still alive. In week 18. Still <laughs> alive. Still alive. If you told them you have to win one home game against the Detroit Lions to make the playoffs, if we told them that going into the season, if we told them that at 4-8, and eight, even with the Lions performing as well as they have been performing, don't forget, the Lions were in the midst of a nice winning streak when they barely lost to the Bills at home on Thanksgiving. We're talking about the last weekend in November, Packers fans would have said, absolutely, we'll sign for that. Well, guess what? Now you got it. And just like we talked about with the Bucks, it does not matter one bit about the first 12 games of the season. It doesn't matter at all. Mm -mm. Because the Packers are coming into these playoffs or week 18. In the same way, I'll say it, the Niners went into last year's playoffs. The proverbial wild card team you don't want to see.
Are they as good as last year's 49ers team? We could sit here and say for the first 12 weeks, no shot, not a chance. You take Aaron Rodgers over Jimmy Garoppolo, I'll check that box. I'll check it. Every other way, are they as talented as the 49ers were last year? You would say no. But then again, I look at the, I always go back to the movies and sports movies and iconic sports lines on this program. And I'll go back to the one for Miracle. I don't need the best players. I just need the right ones. That's it. I just need the right ones. And right now, the Packers have the right ones. Christian Watson's doing more than just catch touchdowns. Romeo Dobbs is healthy. Oh, the defense is finally playing. And the defense yeah. is balling out. Finally. They're stopping the pass, and they're yeah. stopping the run on the way to the quarterback. Yeah. And A.J. Dillon is being rolled downhill in a way that we didn't see in the first 12 games. I mean, they scored 41 points, uh, and Rodgers had 159 yards. Well, it's because they scored all three different phases. Yeah. And Rich Bisaccia, last year's interim head coach in Vegas, took that team to the playoffs, Mr. Special Teams Maven. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if you're going to beat the Packers this year, it's not because their special team stinks. That's why they lost in last year's playoffs. One of the many reasons, I guess. All right, we're going to end it there. Um, first of all, the, the plan wasn't to share the live video there on Twitter. It was just the audio, but uh, no way to really get around it. Um, but again, you can find that. That's a uh, uh, free video, obviously, on YouTube, uh, on the Rich Eisen Show YouTube uh, channel. But one thing he mentioned there at the end, special teams isn't going to lose it for the Packers. You know, I mean, special teams has become a strength now. We've had our mishaps. You know, there's been some growing pains throughout the year. But for the most part, um, special teams has showed up, right? And he points out that's what cost the Packers the playoffs last year, right, was bad special teams. Now it's looking like a strength or at least a push, right? You know, Keyshawn Nixon just being a home run hitter, and he's healthy. Christian Watson's going to get healthier here on the offensive side of the ball. I wanted to play that because overnight, guys, the national media narrative has changed, right? And and there's still some that are clinging to, oh, the Packers are a joke, right? This didn't start before the Vikings game. It didn't start before the Dolphins game. It didn't start before, you know, insert any of the other wins that came before those two games. This started when they were at their lowest point and Aaron Rodgers was saying, Hey, we just got to string some wins together. When Aaron Rodgers said, we ain't dead yet. Right. We're still alive. So again, that pressure we played, that's the backbone to this comeback. Now there's, there's people right now probably shaking their head going, but Aaron, Aaron's not the reason they're doing it. Jordan love can do what Aaron's doing. How do you know that? How do you know that? Yeah, he he may he may do it. I hope he does. I hope we step right into another Hall of Fame quarterback. You kidding me? If we just step into another starting caliber quarterback, this team's going to be good, right? But you don't know that, nor do I. So the, to take a guy who's given so much to a franchise and been a part of this team for so long, and you know, brung them a Super Bowl. Won a Super Bowl MVP, won four MVP awards, right? 
has been, you know, one of, if not the reasons they've been so competitive for so long. And then <clears throat> the second that he breaks his thumb, hurts his ribs, forget the injuries. If there were no injuries and he had a down year, that's what we're, we're just going to throw him out with the trash. Ah, we're done with him. Get him out of here. This, this isn't show friends. It's show business. Okay. All right. Man, I'd hate to hate to see how those people run their household. Hate to see it when a family family member's got an addiction and you got you got to help them dig out of the hole, right? Or God forbid somebody lose a spouse that was uh, the provider of the family and and you know you just turn your back on them at their lowest point. You know, I don't I don't understand it, man. I don't get it. So um, if that's too heavy, I apologize. But um, I just I don't know, man. I I seen that clip of Aaron, and you don't see him get emotional very often. And to hear Matt LaFleur make that comment, you know, gosh, earlier in the year, I believe it might have – it's probably the midpoint of the season, uh, other stuff that Aaron's dealt with. And uh, to see that team kind of coming together, somebody else put a tweet out, and I'm going to wrap up with this. Somebody else tweeted something out, and it said um, on uh, on a uh, on a tweet, it was uh, something along the lines of, uh, you know, Matt LaFleur – if there's one thing Matt LaFleur's proven this year, it's that he could take a punch, right? And that's very well said. Very well said. I was I was on uh Matt LaFleur's case pretty hard early in the year because it's like, man, some of these some of these decisions, some of these adjustments came so late. It's like, how how do we not see that? Like, you know, Amari Rogers and going to Keyshawn Nixon, right? Um, why did it take so long to do that? Why did it take so long to to, you know, to realize that Royce Newman couldn't handle, you know, his role that he was asked there, whether it was right guard or right tackle. Why did it take so long? But, man, they battled through it. And and just like Keyshawn Nixon said, just like Aaron Rodgers said, and Randall Cobb said, and Aaron Jones said, they stuck together. They stuck together. And you never seen that locker room break one time, not once. And that's a testament to, to Matt LaFleur and kind of speaks to the same sentiment that the tweet said that he knows how to take a punch, right? So – this is just a, another wave of experience for the Packers, the coaching staff, the team, in my opinion, um, that they can go, you know what, here's another uh, feather in the cap. Like, hey, look, we faced some serious adversity this year, and we battled through it. You know, the, the previous three years, you were, you know, uh, the prom queen, right? 13 wins every year, and then you let everybody down in the playoffs. That was the big narrative. Now, this year, you've got an opportunity if you beat the Lions, and the Lions are no pushover, man, that's going to be a heck of a game Sunday night. But you've got an opportunity to come into the playoffs with some momentum and come in as the underdogs. Although, isn't it amazing? The, the Packers are so bad, according to the national media. Last week, they were favorites over the Vikings. This week, they're four-point favorites over the Lions. That doesn't mean they're going to win. I'm just saying. It's funny how everyone else makes it sound like they're dead in the water, but Vegas keeps looking up and going, I don't know, man. Packers are the favorites here. So anyway, we're going to wrap up there. Really appreciate everybody's time. I want to give a special thanks once again to Mike Wall um, for taking time to hop on uh, the pod with us again, guys, you've got to go check out his podcast on my block. Um, it's with Amon green and man, just great insight. Um, if you follow him on Twitter at Mike wall, 68, that's at Mike W a H L E 68. Um, 
he puts out great content, breaking down film. I love lo- anytime you know I get a notification. Mike Wall tweeted. Most of the time, he doesn't he doesn't tweet anything that wastes your time. It's going to be him breaking down film where it's something that's important. And those are the kind of follows I really really like. So um, make sure you go give him a follow, guys. Listen, there is absolutely no reason why this redneck from Kentucky with this horrible accent should have more followers than former offensive lineman for the Green Bay Packers, Mike Wall. There's just Many people don't know about him. So you guys do me a favor. When you hear this pod, hop on Twitter, tag him in a tweet. Say, hey, man, love hearing you on Packers Total Access. Everybody give him a follow, and let's uh, help spread the word. Let's get him a big following on Twitter and get some more content out of him because, man, that guy, I love love how he breaks down the game. I, I thought about asking Coach Hahn if he wanted to come on with me, but I don't know if Coach Hahn would have been able to uh, control the excitement. <laughs> so anyway, thank you everybody for uh, tuning in live on Twitter and YouTube. Really appreciate it. For those of you listening to this pod, uh, you're probably listening to it on Thursday afternoon when it goes live. hope you enjoy it. Give me some feedback. Really appreciate everybody. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go Pack Go.